You are what you eat. When you were born, you were about seven pounds of raw, naked flesh. You're seven pounds of eyeballs and lung tissue and bones, intestines, and blood. And only after a year, you were about 20 pounds. 20 pounds of flesh, bigger bones, more muscles, heart, lungs. Where did that extra 13 pounds of flesh come from? (laughs) 13 pounds of converted milk and maybe a little bit of Gerber canned meat. Your body was like a machine that transformed all of that milk into living copies of cells into itself. And and now you're like, well, you're a few pounds heavier. (laughs) So you have like 100, 200 plus pounds of flesh that came from dead things like dead plants like wheat, broccoli, corn, tomatoes, dead animals like cows and chickens and bluefin tuna if you're in the top 1%. You are literally a machine that turns death into life. Every day you practice resurrection when you swallow death and turn it into life just by your spirit. You, you turn it into more body, recycle it into more of you. Now, the cool thing about this, food, as much as I'm bragging on it, actually isn't the biggest thing that you consume that becomes part of you. So you eat about five pounds per day. You drink about six to seven pounds of water per day. But you know what? Your body breathes in 50,000 liters, 140 pounds of air every single day. Now, you don't use all of that, but even the part that you use and metabolize is about 6 pounds. And that that part is so important. See, your body is like a fire. You know what a fire does. You need fuel, but it has to be oxidized. So you have to have wood, but you also have to have oxygen to burn. So like you you take a piece of wood or paper and you you light it. It uses up oxygen. It, It combines the air with the fuel. It produces energy through like light and heat. And then it has excess leftovers and that would be carbon, right? So you got soot and then you got the carbon dioxide that goes up into the air. And this is what your body does. We consume food, our bodies take it in, but we chemically combine it with the oxygen that we're breathing in to produce the energy like the motion, electricity, the heat, and then we breathe out carbon waste. Do you know that 90% of our energy actually comes from oxygen, not from our food? You, you only poop about a pound or so a day, but you breathe out six pounds of carbon dioxide waste every day. So if you've ever heard someone say that they've got a fire inside of them, 
they have physics to back them up. <laughs> we all have a fire inside of us. Food is a catalyst for the fire, but our breath is where the real energy comes from. It's really interesting that the ancients knew this, even though they might not have been able to describe it quite like we can today. But in ancient Western culture and in Near Eastern cultures, they used the same word for spirit as they did breath. They were inseparable concepts. Your spirit, your breath is literally the fuel that drives life and here's the cool thing about it it is free and it's all around us and we don't have to go search for it or gather it up and it's equally available to humans all across the planet and and the precious thing about it is that even though it's free there's no way to hoard it up and yet we need it most immediately. Like, uh, our body can store food and fat cells, but it has no way to store oxygen. So you cannot store up and hoard this thing that is most precious, that is most immediate, the thing that we need and use most of all, that drives most of life. We have to just share it equally with all other humans on the planet. There is no real way but to share it. So we can store up and we can hoard our food, that which we can see, but we can't store up that which is invisible and most important of all. So like of all the resources we need to survive, air is the most precious. Our spirit is the most immediate need of all. Now, if you were to say be in a desert place, you may not need as much food as you think. More than food, you would need water. But even more than that, still, you need your breath. You need spirit. You need the thing you cannot see, which you often forget about, but it's pulsing through you all the time. It's the one thing that you already have that no one can take from you. So if someone were to say that a guy can't just live on food alone, that would be a very wise man. Now see, for most of us, uh, we focus our lives on the things that we see, the, the tools that we use maybe, rather than the spirit we use to produce life with those tools. We focus on the seen rather than the unseen. We focus on what happens to us and we forget that it's our attitude and reaction to what happens to us that actually matters. This is very counterintuitive. I mean, what kid do you know who asks for joy for Christmas, right? My kids want a hoverboard, but that's not actually what they want and they just don't know it. What they really want is the joy of owning and riding a hoverboard. Like they're picturing in their little amazing heads this life unencumbered by the inability to roll where you want to go. <laughs> what they really want, though, is the freedom 
or maybe for even somebody to look at them and say, ooh, I want that and be jealous. Or they, they want the feeling, but they focus on the tool that they can see. And, and while it's true that you can do certain things and produce certain feelings with a hoverboard, it's also true that 90% of your joy comes from the heart and spirit that was in you all along. Like, uh, the kid's spirit may have been combined with a hoverboard before they could ignite with exuberant celebration, but isn't it true that a kid with spirit, with a lot of spirit, can get just about any Christmas present that could become a catalyst for joy? Like, it isn't as dependable on the visible as what we think. You ever know a spoiled kid? Like a kid maybe a little short on spirit and all the hoverboards in the world aren't enough to produce the joy. Spirit produces joy way more than anything. And if you've got it, you're already 90% of the, the way there. The other 10% can often be so flexible. I mean, I know some kids, you like throw them a stick in the backyard and they're going to be entertained for an hour, you know. And so it is with food. Like, I want to be the type of person who can eat an apple and call it dessert. I mean, sounds horrible, right? Uh, um, I want to be the type of person who doesn't have to have a bowl of peanut buttercup bluebell ice cream just to satisfy me for a couple of hours. Now, this is really simple, and it's not a newsflash to you, but if you give a kid brand new, awesome, amazing toys and take them to theme parks all the time, their brains adjust to the need for that quick burst of amazement just not to be bored, and we call those kids spoiled. And what they are is addicted to the rush of power, and it has disabled them from working those creativity muscles to make joy out of what you and I might think of as a normal situation. Translate that to food. Feed a human brownies and ice cream and in and out burger and fast food every day, and that person's not going to want to eat their vegetables, right? Kids or adults. Because the addiction to the rush of a short, fleeting burst of energy that we feel, it grabs us, and our brain says, Oh, I want that. And there's a biological reason we'll get to in episode two, but we know that that's not actually what we need, and it's probably not a healthy lifestyle. So, so get ready because I'm about to dump something on you here. You know, j just like you don't need a new truck or a bigger house or a new iPhone to make you joyful. You really don't need food at all nearly as much as you think you do. You can actually go a long time without it. It's funny, I, I did a kind of a poll one time in a class I was teaching, and I just sort of went around and asked people, why do you eat, why do you eat, why do you eat? And most people, they they look at you funny like, I've never thought about that before. And then when you start getting answers back, the vast majority of the initial responses are, why do you eat? Uh, I eat to survive. Now, stop right there. Um, if you don't eat dinner tonight, are you going to kick over dead? <laughs> so most of us aren't just eating to survive. You can actually go a month 
without food if you have no other medical conditions. Now, side note, I'm not talking to those who struggle with anorexia or other eating disorders and you're malnourished of some sort. So just just to be clear, I'm not talking to malnourished people. I'm talking to the vast majority of us who just eat and we usually eat poorly and overeat. That's the majority of us in our culture. You are going to be fine. You need air and water. And by the way, this is, this is free, side note, but if your soul is in a desert, say you're in a place of despair, uh, you may not need the things that you think you do in order to survive. For today, you may only need to open up your eyes and breathe in something you already have all around you. All you need for now is just to breathe. That's the first thing we need to know about food. Is first we've got to breathe. Go ahead. It's free. <laughs> what you need is more air. And I'm guessing that many of you, if you are in this 21st century rush of a lifestyle that we live, maybe you just need to breathe right now. You need more spirit, more air. Okay, so Seth thought this was about food. You keep talking about air. <laughs> but listen, this is the pattern of the universe. And if you don't get this, you're not going to get any of the rest of it. Like we can talk about diets and all of the different things we should or shouldn't be eating all day long. But if you don't get this, you've missed 90% of it. See, most of life is unseen, but we are limited in our vision. Like We naturally want to fixate and get stuck on the things we can see, and we fail to see the big things that are actually driving the little things that we can see. So, for instance, go to the, the big picture. The universe itself is over 90% dark matter and energy. It's actually 96%, we figure, of everything that exists can't even be seen or observed with any instrument that we have. It's a mystery. But we can see some things that point us to help us to understand that that 96% has a big impact on the rest of the universe and it's a reality that's there but we have no idea what it is we can't see it and then like visually so if you go to the spectrum of light or the radioactive spectrum there are way more colors of light that we can't see than what we can like 90% of the wavelengths of light, and we don't call them light, we call them radiation, they are invisible. And I just made up the 90%, but it's the vast majority. I'm not even talking about dark energy anymore. I'm just talking about the energy that uh, we can observe with tools that our eyes can't pick up. And so those 90% really, really matter and help us to understand what the other visible light waves are. Invisible waves are how I'm podcasting to you right now. And it's in how we talk. Like, you know, you, you've you had comments thrown at you before, and you know that like 90% of the power that's coming at you in those comments is actually the unspoken, that it's just sort of there, and you know it's there, and you can't put your finger on it. So like, somebody could say, hey, what are you doing? Or they could say, 
what you doing? Or they could say, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, there's like so many different ways that you could say the same thing. And it's the unspoken part that drives the spoken. It's like we're floating along on the surface of a current that runs way deeper than what we can see. So if someone were to say that we should fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, that would be a really wise man. So even though this is a series about food, the main thing we need to know about food it is that it is merely the visible and obvious and seen part of an iceberg that's just poking out above the surface and it's a small small fraction of ourselves that we see but it's an important one because it teaches us about what's under the surface so we need to stop all the banter about calories and keto diets and resolutions just a moment and allow ourselves to look at the part of the iceberg that is above the surface and let it point us to what's underneath the surface and teach ourselves about the part of ourselves that is beneath the surface because like you can try to fix everything on top of the iceberg by sort of white knuckling it right you can set up this great weight loss plan exercise plan you can eat all the right foods you can even do some of it but eventually you keep running out of steam why because you haven't dealt with the root of the problem with your heart your habits your mind the unseen part of the iceberg that's actually drifting in the current now I'd like you to I'd like to invite you to stop judging yourself and just allow yourself to teach yourself about you. And if you can't stop judging yourself, like you just keep running into these patterns of like every time you come back to start thinking about your actions, there's like this condemning thought there. And you then that's something you need to observe, right? Like, why can't I stop judging myself? That may be a good place to start. Like, who taught me to think so critically about myself? Because, you know, like a, a three-year-old, they don't, they don't really think critically. They don't judge themselves. So, like, I didn't either. And so where did I learn that from? That's a, a really important thing to need to know. Like, who taught me or what patterns did I pick up on in life that told me that just because I did something that was a mistake that I need to be condemning and harsh in my own assessment of myself. Like, See, uh, the ways that we act and then the ways that we eat teaches us about ourselves if we can let it. See, here's the thing about judgment, okay? Um, when you can stop judging yourself, you can actually get rid of the noise and look at your actions from an outside perspective and just let yourself be taught about yourself. Judgment 
will keep you from learning about yourself. If you are self-critical, judgment's kind of like a a 10-year-old dressed up in a fake scary costume and they're guarding the entrance to a new road called self-examination that leads you to the place of transformation, right? So like every time you get close to entering the road of self-examination, you hear this scary voice of judgment and then you run away. But what you don't know is that judgment's just a 10-year-old kid. (laughs) You don't have to listen to it. You don't have to. And if you can convince yourself and get up the nerve and say, I don't have to listen to my own critique of myself, then you can go past him down the road of self-examination without suffering all of that painful criticism along the way. And that will lead you to the place of transformation. All right, so let's just think for a minute about uh, about how you eat, okay? So like, you know people who cram food down in a hurry? I do. I am one. I'm a 10-year veteran teacher, and I have to ask myself the question, um, why am I in such a hurry? (laughs) What is it that is so awfully important that I can't even be allowed to chew my food? Right Now, there's obvious answers. Well, I've got to go to that meeting. I've got to turn this paperwork in. I've got to go check on this kid. I've got all these things to do. But who said that I didn't matter and that I couldn't sit down and have actually enough time to taste what I'm eating in the middle of the day. See, I'm believing things about myself. Or um, say you know that you need to not eat that food. Shocker, you keep eating it. Why? Like what weird thing is going on where you can't seem to stop you. (laughs) It's like you should be able to, but you can't. Um, So there's all these ways that like underneath the surface, our hearts are driving what's going on. And if we can listen by observing our own patterns throughout the day in a non-judgmental way, we will be so much further down the road to where we need to go. You ever seen The Biggest Loser? Um, remember the NBC show where they, they put all of these very obese people there in a camp of sorts to have like a weight loss competition and they were losing these ridiculous amounts of weight. And for a long time, it became standard like clockwork for the physical trainer to sort of morph into a therapist, uh, right? And you have this moment and, and they glorify it by cameras, of course, where the, this very overweight person has this sort of emotional breakdown and they cry and they talk about how... They never felt good enough or how their mommy was mean when they were little or whatever it was. And they almost always, it's that point at which like the dam of emotions burst that somehow they can access forgiveness and grace and accept and own their story that somehow now they can start going down the road to health and they're not fighting such an uphill battle. So I would invite you today to examine yourself non-critically and allow yourself to teach yourself about yourself. Okay, so I I just want to probe a little bit by examining us as a group because I don't know your story, but I'm a tad bit concerned about us as a whole in the United States of America where I'm podcasting because of what I see on the surface. 
10% of us have an eating disorder of some kind, but 70% of us are overweight, and one-third of us are obese. Now, here's what that means in science terms. Non-judgmentally, we are taking in too much food and not enough oxygen. Our balance is off, right? <laughs> so, like, that sounds funny, I know, but if we were an engine, if you know how a carburetor for an engine works, it has to get the fuel-air mixture just right, or else the engine will flood, or else the engine will die, or something bad will happen to the engine. And so we have to have the balance right with our food and with our oxygen. Now, I know that sounds funny. Like, how are we going to get more oxygen? We know we need to eat less food. But how are we going to get more oxygen? I mean, do you hyperventilate? Do you go get an oxygen bottle? The only way that a healthy person will naturally uh, ingest, take in, metabolize more oxygen over the long haul is by movement. Moving. Exercising. It creates a demand for more that speeds up metabolism. Now, there's a truth underneath that, if you want to track, the, track with me on that, that the only way that you get more of the Spirit is not by trying to force it in, but by doing something, by moving, by taking a step, and then you trust that your body will have all of the Spirit it needs to survive another step. So we need to consume less of that which is seen and more of that which is unseen. That's our society. We have too much seen and not enough unseen. So we need to breathe. We need to listen to ourselves. Okay, here's another one. Think about what we are communicating when we need to cram our guts full of short bursts of calories, like short little quick bursts of calories, we are saying to ourselves, I don't already have enough of what I need. Which, if you're an American cramming down a cheeseburger, uh, the average American, this is objectively false, and let's go ahead and admit it, we didn't need that. But we keep saying out uh, with our actions that we don't have enough of what we need. Now, I know you aren't consciously thinking every time you go through the Wendy's drive-thru. And no, thankfully, I don't do that either. We're not consciously thinking, I don't have enough of what I need. We are subconsciously chasing this thing. It's kind of like we're running on a hamster wheel that keeps going a little faster than we can keep up. And so we use food to medicate and we never stop to ask the question, why am I on this hamster wheel in the first place? Like what kind of hamster wheels are you on? Like when you get going so fast and you feel like you can't keep up and you can't keep up and you can't keep up, that's going to spill over into how you eat. Is your job a hamster wheel? Um, is the house you live in or the bills that you leveraged yourself with, uh, is, is that a hamster wheel? Did, did you do like us and have an entire sports team of kids and then you find yourself una un unable to keep up with the demands of them all? At some point, you might want to ask yourself, why am I biting off more 
then I can chew. And I'm going to guess that that's going to be the representative of the, the reality of your lifestyle and the food that you eat. What isn't enough about your life? What, what is it that's not enough that you say, I need more? Do you? I, you remember I said earlier, you could easily live a month with no food, right? So you could easily live a long time without the things that are seen that we chase in life in general. Uh, so with food, you know, you know that feeling of hunger we get, right? It's a, it's a trick played by your hypothalamus. It's one of the most primitive parts of your brain. It's just a feeling like your stomach starts to clench up every few hours when you haven't eaten because that's the routine you're on. You're not really hungry. It's just that you've been on a routine. It's more efficient and easy to stay on that routine for your body to have to start using up some of its reserve cells. So your hypothalamus makes you feel hungry, but the truth is you already have enough. And if you're listening to this in America, you know that you know that you wouldn't physically die of malnourishment if you didn't eat before you went to bed tonight so if you keep on overeating it's also a sign that there's a deep fundamental mistrust between your brain and what you know and your brain and what you feel we call it our heart or our gut but it's really our, our limbic system like uh our psyche may be on overdrive, and we may know in our head, no, I, no, 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 I'm fine. We may know in our cerebral cortex that I'm fine, but something underneath that keeps driving me as if I'm not. And those are in disagreement with us. Now, um, your sub-psyche, here's the thing you need to know about it. It remembers all sorts of things that you have forgotten in the higher levels of thinking. And when your subconscious knows something, it doesn't matter how much your conscious self knows it, your subconscious will win every time. It is good at what it does. So you may not be thinking in those terms that you're aware of, but uh, your physical body and your subconscious often do the thinking for your higher brain so that your higher brain can engage in other things. So, like, let's say something happens to you that makes you feel like you're not enough. You fail. You don't connect with somebody and deal with that in a healthy way and talk about it or confess it or whatever. You just stuff it, we say. We sort of push it underneath the surface. It lies down in the subconscious regions of our brain where our emotions lie, and it's just stored there. And that subconscious is going to remember that. That comment that person made that made you feel so small or so much like a failure, like if you don't deal with that in a healthy way, if you don't talk to somebody about that or connect that with somebody, if you don't get that out, so to speak, then it's going to be stuffed down in there. And even though you don't remember it, your sub-psyche remembers it. It doesn't matter how much you try to fight against it, you're going to find yourself white-knuckling, trying to force yourself into submission, into this diet that you want to eat, and you're going to find yourselves fighting against yourself all 
the time. I know you know what I'm talking about. It looks really simple. You know I shouldn't eat that bowl of ice cream today, and yet you do. And it's like you can't stop yourselves. When it should be, like, shouldn't it be easier to not pick up the brownie? Shouldn't it be easier and more efficient to not step in the Froyo place? And it's like we're drawn to it, all right? And that's where the roots of addiction come from. It's like when you can't stop, uh, it's, it's not when you can't stop consuming, it's when you won't stop consuming, right? That's what addiction is. It's this freakishly weird way that we keep getting stuck in patterns of somehow I keep failing and going back to justifying why I need to eat all this stuff. It's because of the other 90% under the surface, and we've got to get to that. Now, I don't know what your story is, where your 90% came from, where those bad habits that you don't like about yourself came from. They've probably been there most of their lives. And as a rule, the younger you started to think certain ways about yourself, the harder it is to deal with. But you can deal with it. Uh, There are no blanket statements that I can throw out there except that eating happens to be one of the most primitive acts of a human. And the connections to the way we eat and what we eat by their very nature are subconscious. And if you find yourself in a pattern of overeating, then you are acting out a desire of something deeper that you believe about yourself. So we've got to go under the surface. Now, let's just talk about uh, our body and physicality for just a second. So, uh, above the surface. So, like, at the end of Back to the Future Part 1, you remember when Doc returns from the future and he's upgraded the DeLorean with a new fusion reactor on the back and he's tossing, like, beer cans and eggs and trash in there? It is so cool when I was a little kid watching that because this machine can turn anything, it seems, into energy, right? Your body is like a gelatinous Mr. Fusion. So as long as you have air, it is downright amazing what it can run on. Like what kind of garbage you can throw in it and somehow it still burns it. I I mean, come on, like walk with me through the school cafeteria one day. Like my kids are eating Twinkies, Flamin' Hot Cheetos, liquid corn syrup with red dye. We call it punch. I mean, like seriously, do you even know what's in a Flamin' Hot Cheeto? (laughs) So... They're eating garbage, and the amazing thing is, uh, to me, not that we have so much cancer and heart disease. The amazing thing is that we have so little based on what I'm witnessing. But having said that, you, you can only throw so much trash in Mr. Fusion for so long, and it starts to catch up with you. Because while your body is amazing, it is designed to run most efficiently with certain types of fuel. And now it's 2018, and we're discovering things about fuel, and our fuel matters. Not just in a big way, not, but even in small ways. We're starting to realize little ways that long-term damage can occur because we're eating the wrong types of food. 
So, like, you ever seen the true fuel that they make for little small engines like weed eaters and chainsaws and stuff? It's like a quart of this stuff. It's just it's gas with the oil mixed in it already. It Like, a quart of it's like six or eight bucks, right? And it's just gas. And so, like, you can run gas and mix your own oil in. And I know a lot of people who think it's crazy to spend six or eight bucks on a quart of gas. So they shortcut it and they mix it themselves. And here's what happens. Um... The premixed fuel has just a few little tweaks for it so that it's designed for those engines, right? So we've been running for decades and decades. Somebody will get some regular unleaded gas and then they'll mix in uh, their own fuel mixture and that's it. But there are some minor changes that are going to make all the difference. See, like for decades, people have had small engine trouble. Like, you know, they've just been notorious for breaking down. Just It's just one of those things that, like, over and over, you cannot keep your small engines running. But then we started to discover, okay, some minor changes. We take out ethanol. We add in a little fuel stabler, stabilizer. Um, we use some high-octane gas. And you won't notice a difference in the short term. And so, so many, so many people think that they're fine and they're saving money doing it their own way. But after two or three years, their engines start to die. And because it's slow, they often don't make the connection. They just think that it was happenstance. They just think that that's how long their engine should have lasted. They think they're saving money, but in the end, a new tool or piece of equipment cost way more than the fuel that you would have spent. And so I've heard people say like, I can't afford to eat healthy all the time. But have you priced bypass surgery? Because <laughs> if you can't afford something, you can't afford to not eat healthy. Okay. And so what we eat is just as important and just as telling as how we eat. And I want to talk about that some too. And I've got a doctor coming on uh, in episode three and and I'm so excited. Um, so now, um, we have bought whole hog into the food culture. And as we close out, I wouldn't like to invite us to take a step back and realize that we don't need it as much as we think we do and that we can live a full and joyful and happy life if we can kick the addictions. I really have a hard time knowing what to get any adult uh, for a present that isn't food related. Anybody with me on that? Like gift cards, cookies, take them a drink, take them something from a restaurant, Hickory Farm smoked cheese, right? We have lost our imagination. Like, think about what about celebrations? Uh, every American holiday that I know of goes just like this: decorate for a theme and eat a bunch of sugar-containing food. Like, have we lost our ability to find joy in life without food? Like, how about going out? Uh, like when we were teens. You used to eat because it was like the precursor to the cool thing that you did. Whenever we were a kid, you were like, let's hurry up and eat so that we can get to the thing that we want to do. And now, like, eating is the date. <laughs> well, we go and eat, and then we talk, and we migrate to a dessert and coffee place, and then we eat and drink some more. And it's like, it's almost like there's this fear of, like, what are you going to do if you don't eat? Uh, how are you going to survive on salads and bland, healthy food? It sounds terrible. And... The thing is, there's a trade-off. 
see, I was I was eating a salad and a sweet potato one day, and uh, it worked. That was it. Just salad and sweet potato. And a coworker of mine liked to give me a hard time, and he said, "Seth, do you ever look forward to lunch?" And and I, he was joking, and I didn't take it personally. But late, later on, I thought about it, and I thought, you know, I don't really uh, think about lunch that much. I don't look forward to it that much, but I don't dread it. And because of the lunch that I eat like that, when I eat like that, my body is in a way better position to look forward to the rest of the day. And so many of us are fooling ourselves if we think we're happier eating unhealthy trash and garbage. So many of us have gotten lost with our food, but food is merely a fuel for a bigger thing called life that you want to live. You and I were designed for joy, unencumbered life to the fullest. And here's the reality. The reality is the spirit within us burns most efficiently with certain foods eaten in certain amounts and less efficiently with others. And that's what this series is about. You are after joy. If you think that the total amount of joy and fulfillment possible via the instant gratification of a large bowl of peanut M&Ms is greater than the amount of joy that you could have combining your oxygen with more healthy fuel, you would be wrong. So as we close up, I believe in eating, y'all, okay? I love to eat. You know what eating is for? It's not for getting fat. It's not even for surviving. Eating is meant to be good. And the less you abuse it, the better it can be. Eating is the tip of the iceberg. It's the tip of this iceberg, too. It's a gateway. If it's the external part of someone that we can see, and if connection is our purpose, and if you want to go deeper with people and have more joy and fun and laughter in life with your relationships around you, you do need to start with the externals and forge deeper connection together. You don't just meet somebody and start with like, hey, tell me about your deepest, darkest secret or the first time that you had a child. <laughs> Where do we start? Well, we we often start by eating, don't we? Like if we want to get to know somebody, we start by eating. And it's beautiful because think about what we're doing. Whenever we eat together and we make it about a relationship or about family or about fun or about friends and when we do that instead of this little individual drive-through experience where we just cram it down in loneliness when we make it about the bigger picture when we feed each other we are speaking to one of the most primitive parts of our existence we're turning the norms upside down see the animals like if you watch them you'll realize that they bite and devour one another. Like you ever seen birds or wild hogs or other animals just try to eat together? The rule is in the animal kingdom, me first and then you when I'm completely full. But when you feed somebody else you and you eat together, you're saying, you know, I believe that if we share, there's going to be a provision here. Maybe even one I can't explain or do the math on, but somehow when we put each other first, 
All of our physical needs are going to be taken care of, and that's something to celebrate together. When you feed somebody else or you share with somebody else, you are telling them that you want them to thrive. So let's reclaim our eating from being such an individualized experience of self-gratitude and make it about something bigger. So I'll leave you with this. Food has gotten a bad rap because we've abused it and we've blamed it. But food has the power to bring people together. It even has the power to bring nations together because when we eat together, we can celebrate that there's something bigger that we're all a part of and that we believe in to provide for us. If we're open-handed, there will be more than enough. That's what food should be about life, spirit, breath, community, connection. I'll have a big bowl of that. So, next episode, episode two coming up, I want to talk about the history and the evolution of food. And we're going to get more specific to actually the things that we do eat today, what's good for us and what's not good for us. And then I've got a couple of interviews with some people that I think can be really, really helpful for us. I'm excited. Uh, Glad you tuned in today. Be dropping the next one uh, next weekend. So we'll see you then.